August 21st, 2023, we're in Masechet Betzah on Daf Lamed Amud Bet. If you count from the top of the Amud down, it's eight lines down in the middle of the line where it says, Amar Le Rav Safra. Just very briefly, because it's important, uh, what the context of the Gemara is. The Gemara was dealing with at the end of our Mishnah. The end of our Mishnah was talking about circumstances, situations of the Halachot with regards to Eruvin. Uh, but not the Eruv that you and I are perhaps uh, familiar with always, and generally speaking, but Eruv Tehumin, because on Shabbat, on Yom Tov, there's a specific amount of space outside of the city, the 2,000 Amma, that a person's allowed to walk. Um, now, aside from them walking, their property can't go beyond that space as well. In turn, the Mishnah was dealing with property situations where a person has something and it might have a partial ownership by another person. What's the halacha with regard to that item? Where and how can it be carried on Shabbat, on Yom Tov? And what the Mishnah told us specifically was in the case of a loaf of bread. If a woman is, is baking a loaf of bread and she borrows from her neighbor certain ingredients, salt, pepper, water, or something of that sort, the halakha is that the loaf of bread now is kiragleshit to him, which means to say the status of the owner, the person who made that, who baked that loaf of bread, that's certainly injected into this loaf. But also the person who gave the ingredients, their status is upon this loaf of bread as well. And in turn, with regards to where you could and can't carry this loaf of bread on Shabbat on Yom Tov, we determine it by both parties. It's Keragleshe Tehen. The Gemara told a brief story. The Gemara said, Rabbi Abba went to Eretz Yisrael, and when he encountered the rabbis there, and prior to going, he prayed to God that he'll be able to say something that's appropriate. He encounters three rabbis who are talking about this Mishnah and wondering. Their question is, why don't we have the principle in our Mishnah known as Bitul Berov, or Bitul? Why is it that now Mishnah, when the person, when the woman borrowed those ingredients from their neighbor, the ingredients that went into it are really annulled. They should fall to the wayside in the scheme of things. It should be considered specifically and only the status and the ownership, so to speak, of the rightful owner of the majority, the one who baked it, and have no restrictions because of the person who they borrowed it from. Rabbi Abba tried to explain it. If you recall, that's what we were reading about, learning about on Friday. Uh, Rabbi Abba turned to them and he said, but wait a second, let me give you a parallel example. What if a person has an ownership of 10 kavim, that's a measurement, pounds, let's call it, of hitim of wheat, and someone else's one kav, one pound of wheat falls into it? Do you mean to tell me that in that situation, the person who owns the 10 can just eat and he could be happy as to not take into account the fact that the other person's wheat fell in, it really gets swallowed up. In other words, he was suggesting that in some way in this property ownership circumstance and situation, it doesn't just get swallowed up so easily. The Gemara then knocked uh, the, this, uh, this Rabbi Abba. If you recall, uh, the Rav Osha'aya said there was a good reason for them laughing at you. Uh, why was it a good reason that they laughed at you? Because your examples seem to assume you're going with the principles of what's called min bimino. What's min bimino? You're dealing with the same species, the same item, uh, the hitim, the wheat and wheat, got mixed, and in turn there's no annulment, there's no bitul. What if it was seorim, what if it was barley that got mixed with, with, with uh, wheat? You seem to be suggesting that in such a circumstance there would be bitul. 
Wait a second. Min bimino lo batil, a famous and important principle that one species and the same like species doesn't have what's called bitul annulment. That's only the opinion of Rabbi Yudah. We don't even follow the opinion of Rabbi Yudah. We follow the hachamim. Hachamim maintain that min bimino batel, which means to say when all the dust settles, effectively Rav Oshaya defended the rabbis in Israel. Why isn't there bitul in our Mishnah? You maybe were suggesting because they're like species and that's why there's no bitul. Not okay, that's only the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. Sof davar, when all the dust settles, we're left with a question. Why is there no bitul? Says the Gemara now, Amar le Rav Safra, Moshe Shapir ka'amarta. Rav Safra turns to Rav Oshaya. Rav Oshaya was the last voice. The last voice was defending the rabbis in Israel, saying that there should be bitul, the annulment should be in place. And now Rav Safra says, Moshe Shapirka Amarta. Uh, well, first and foremost, the last word, Shapirka Amarta, means, are you saying well? Do you think what you're saying is correct? Uh, I think, says Rav Safra to Rav Oshaya, a lot of names, but effectively getting back to the rabbis in Eretz Israel, I think they were wrong. I could make the claim that there is, uh, in this situation, no bitul. Uh, who's Moshe? There was no mention of Moshe in our Gemara. Rashi, on our Gemara, suggests that Moshe, beyakra de Moshe kamishtaba, writes Rashi. Rashi says that this is a way of swearing in the context of study. It's like saying, I swear they were right. Swearing by the name of God, we sometimes would say. I would sometimes say, apparently, I swear by the honor of Moshe. It was just an expression. It was a way of doing so. Rashi elsewhere in Talmud, because Rav Safra has said this in different contexts as well, says it's a way that Rav Safra is, um, is uh, giving honor to the other person. He's mishabeach. He's not swearing by the name of Moshe, but it's like saying, Eli, you're like Moshe Rabbeinu in this moment. Moshe! but I think he got it wrong. So in other words, he's the, the, the mention of Moshe is only a way of either swearing or giving honor to the person he's speaking to, but what's the, what's the defense or what's the counter to the hachamim in Eretz Yisrael? How could and should you argue that in our Mishnah there isn't bitul to say it in a sentence? Why in the case where the woman borrowed the ingredients is there no bitul? Is there no annulment? And instead, the loaf of bread has, so to speak, two owners. Uh, didn't you know? Did the rabbis in Israel not hear? Were they not familiar with this statement of Rav? The circumstance is a gorin. A gorin is a mill. And the circumstance in turn is in a mill, I want my wheat, maybe I want my barley, but I don't want serorot, I don't want stones, I don't want rocks. That's not what I'm doing over here. I'm grinding and bringing forth flour. I'm not grinding and bringing forth finely ground stones and pebbles. However, if a person walks in, if you were to do a chesed in your eyes for me, you walk into my mill area, and start sifting, start using your hands or a utensil to get all the pebbles out of my millstone. I have the mill and I have in it the wheat and you walk in and you start picking out those pebbles. Fantastic, it's a good thing you do. Hayav leshalem lo demer hitim. You must pay to me the value. The picker must 
the picker must pay to the picked. <laughs> In other words, you must pay to me if you entered to my mill and did so. The value of, well, the weight that you removed in what it would be uh, valued in wheat. Uh, why should that be the case? You, uh, pebbles. It's pebbles. So the Alma, let's just finish the statement and we'll understand why. Alma, it is clear, kila, kila means a weight or a measurement, hasre. He was diminishing, he was taking away, which means to say, uh, you know, and I imagine to a certain much smaller extent there's some sort of reality that's relevant today. But ultimately speaking, once upon a time when it was a little bit more mom and pop shop style, if you came to buy from me, I was scooping out, you know, let's say flour and placing it in another utensil and then selling you based on the weight. Now, you were assuming that the majority, the vast majority of it was actually um, flour. You knew that since this is a regular commercial uh, atmosphere, it's not 100% flour. It's something else got crept, in, got crept into it, maybe a pebble here and there. It means that ultimately speaking, by removing the pebbles, you in turn are diminishing from my production, my productivity, the ability for me to make money or hire an easier amounts of money. The pebbles would have weighed down more. The pebbles, when I was selling this flower afterwards, would have given me more value. So even though I'm not actually selling pebbles, even though the buyer doesn't actually want pebbles, the pebbles are a significant part of this. It means to say, ultimately speaking, for our context, for our purposes then, I'm dealing with an inappropriate ingredient, an ingredient that doesn't belong, but by removing it and taking away from the weight of my item, that in and of itself is significant. So too the suggestion of Rav Safra to Rav Oshaya, all the names included, right? Um, Rav Safra says that's why the rabbis in Eretz Yisrael should have understood in our circumstance when I'm dealing with ingredients in the loaf of bread, there's no such thing as bitul. Every ingredient is significant. It adds to the weight. Over there, it wasn't even edible, and it still had significance. In our situation, where they put, the woman gave me salt, she gave me water, it is edible. So you say, no, but it's not really a part. No, every part of this is significant. Not only because everyone Well, everyone certainly understands that there's salt and pepper and water in the loaf of bread. Well said. Well said. Um, hold that thought because the Gemara effectively asked the same question. But, so that's the question. The question is, how could it be that there is bitul? And the answer is, there shouldn't be bitul. There should be no annulment in a circumstance of, again, the words in the Gemara, kila hasre, where you diminished or affected the measurement. The response in turn to Rav Safra, as Jeffrey just said, is, Translate the word first and then uh, the concept and, and, and its relevancy. Tove'a means to make a, tivia means a claim. Well, you come into court and you make a claim against the person. I have a claim that that is mine. I'm going to be the claimant and I'll be able to maybe prosecute you or maybe bring you to court. And that's what the word tov'in means. Mamon she'esh lo tov'in means a 
financial circumstance where there is a claimant. Now, let's, let's now for a moment take a step back and understand what that has any, what's the relevancy to us. Well, think about our two circumstances. The case where it was the millstone and you walked in, Eli. It's true, you only took out pebbles. It's true, Joey, pebbles are not edible. But ultimately speaking, I have a claim against you. My ownership stake in this is challenged by you taking that out. Effectively, the fact that I have an ownership claim against you uh, that's why it's not batel. That's in contrast to our situation, where the woman lent the salt, the, the spice, the water. She can't and won't, and it's fully understood that over the course of Yom Tov, she lent that, those, those ingredients wholeheartedly. She has no claim any longer. She has no ownership stake. She gave it. She expects to, after the holiday, get paid back. She knows over the course of the holiday, this is not mine any longer. This is my, yes, it, it's shared, it's borrowed from me, but I'm not getting it back. That's the difference, suggests Abaye. Abaye says, you want to tell me there shouldn't be bitul because, well, you changed the weight uh, measurement over here? Absolutely. I got it. That's another sivara. But you know, you go so, and, and maybe you're, you're adding to it. You're saying the reason she gave it fully is because she knows it's a part of this at, at this point. But ultimately speaking, Eli, just to say it more simply, the idea is once the neighbor gave those ingredients, it's out of sight, out of mind. They no longer, that owner no, no longer has a claim. It's mamonche en lo tovain. There's no claim in it. There's no, there's no uh, uh, ownership stake. There's no, there's no ba'alut is the, is the halachic word. There's no ownership over that. That's in contrast to the case that you brought forth, Rav Safra, which means to say, again, in the scheme of things, we revert back to the question of the rabbis in Israel. Remember the rabbis in Israel who had the question, why in the case where the salt, the pepper, the water was lent, does it now have the status of the lender as well, the loaf of bread? It shouldn't. We should have bitul. You try to defend the latest defense, Rav Safra. No, you change the measurement. Changing the measurement is significant. When you took the pebbles out of my millstone, that was significant, even though it's not edible. Over here, you added the salt, you added the pepper, you added the water. That has a significance. Absolutely not. The pebbles, I have an ownership in it. It's mine. I didn't expect you to take it. The water, the salt, the, uh, the pepper, you never had any ownership. Doesn't it become considered money? It's not money no, in this. You're getting the value of it after the holiday, which means, ultimately speaking, that in this loaf of bread, you have zero. That's the point, though. And as a result, that we should consider bitul. Amale, the response in turn to Abaye, it goes as follows. So again, keep in mind, we have a lot of back and forth. That's why I said Eli before the Gemara, a little complicated just in terms of keeping the back and forth in mind. It's a Jared type of Gemara, but you know, uh, for, for the simpletons amongst us, you know, it's a lot of back and forth. So just to state it outside, not giving the details yet. Effectively, the counter, effectively the response is, you made the claim, your, your understanding was, that if there's an ownership stake 
in this item, that's what tips the scales with regards to whether you'll have bitul or not. You can't annul if I have an ownership stake in it. You can if I don't, right? If it's the pebbles, you can't annul. If it's the salt, water, or pepper, you could annul. I have a case where it's going to be clear we didn't take into account ownership at all. That in and of itself is going to be significant, right? If I don't take into account ownership, it means anything you just said to me, the Jeffrey Sevara, that Sevara, the Abaye Sevara, it's wrong. I understood it, it was interesting, but it's wrong. I have counter evidence. What's the evidence? So the evidence is a little bit complicated, but it shouldn't be too much. It's just too complicated because it's like its own vantage point. You have to zone into it and then take yourself out of it and appreciate it. But here's the, uh, the context. It's talking again about this opinion that we uh, talked about at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day on Friday. The opinion of Rabbi Huda. So again, here's our zoning in. Rabbi Huda's opinion, if you recall, is min bimino lo batil, which means to say if there's one species and a like species, the example in the Torah, parashat Harimot, is the blood from a par and the blood from a se'ir, the blood from a bull and the blood from a different type of animal, a goat. I think. Um, so if they got mixed, the understanding of Rabbi Huda is it's blood and blood, no annulment, no bitul. Even though the pod is much greater in number, in size, no bitu. The halakha, the Gemara elsewhere, and cited over here, uh, explains is that even according to the Biuda, sometimes min bimino is batil. Are you kidding me? I thought you said not. If it's a min bimino, but they're so different, even though they're the same species, so different one from the other, halakha speaking, halachically envisioned, uh, you have bitu. Oh, what do you mean? Give me an example. Here we are. Here's the example. Nevela means a carcass of an animal. Shehuta means an animal that was slaughtered in kosher fashion. Now, in addition to not being able to be eaten, a nevela imparts tum'ah. So that's what we need to have in mind. So something that's tameh, imparts tum'ah, uh, impurity, uh, becomes uh, mixed together with shehuta. With, uh, with flesh, with, which, with meat that's been slaughtered and is tahor. What's the halakha in such a circumstance? Now again, it's from the same animal, or it's both pieces of meat. The halakha is if it's a nevela b'shehuta, even according to the biuda, you have bitul. You have bitul, I thought you said pieces of meat are pieces of meat. No, they're very different. Why so? You'll never have a case where a slaughtered piece of meat transforms in its status to the status of a nevela, meaning to something that imparts tum'ah. It's just not so. Nevela imparts tum'ah. Shehuta, slaughtered kosher, does not. And as a result, they're considered different enough that even according to the Bihudah, min bimino lo batel, you have bitul over here. Shehuta ena betela benevela. If you have alternatively a case where a slaughtered piece of meat get mixed in with a lot, 10, 15, 60 other pieces of meat, which are nevela, do you say that it, so to speak, gets swallowed up and all those pieces of meat now are tameh? Is that going to be the halakha? Says the, says the halakha, absolutely not. Ena betela benevela lefishi efshar lenevela shete'ase shehuta. Alternatively, in this case, since, and lots of technical details over here, this one interestingly is based on a pasuk 
uh, in two weeks ago, parasha, it says that the halakha is a nevela, a carcass of an animal, um, could become, it uh, could come to the state of not imparting tumah, which means, say again, let's just uh, summarize this briefly. It goes like this. He, mm, we need a dead signal. Okay. All right. Here is an animal, which is a carcass, lying over here. It's tamir. Now, imagine I have a bunch of these carcasses, right? Each of them tameh, and something, a shehutab, comes mixed in together with them. Do we say that the shehutab, and I can't, I can't tell the difference, even though we can at the moment tell the difference, can't tell the difference between them, they all look the same. The halakha is if it's one shehutab and many nevela, there's no bitu. Why is there no bitu? Why isn't there annulment? Um, and as a result, we don't say every one of these is for sure nevela. We say there's a safik, there's a doubt attached to each one. Because the halakha in this circumstance is each one of these nevelas, the halakha with regards to the nevela is when it becomes disgusting, when it erodes and becomes uh, you know, rotted, it loses its status as something that's, me, that's mekabelet and notene tumah. It no longer imparts tumah. It's learned from Pasuk in Devarim Perek Yodalit. The Torah says that if you have nevela, a carcass, give it to the stranger in your midst, which means if it's edible to a stranger, it has the status of nevela, of something that imparts tumah, of a carcass that wasn't slaughtered appropriately. But ultimately speaking then, these are more similar than they appeared. Uh, this is imparting tumah in the moment, but it could come to a state where it doesn't impart tumah, if it erodes. And in turn, I say, this shehuta will not, will not in turn become annulled by something that's so different than it, because they're actually not so different. It just takes time and they'll actually be more similar. And similar in a certain respect to the idea we learned earlier in the Masechet of the Davash Matirim. The fact that this can, if left alone, would become the same status as this, Shehuta, means that they're similar enough that there's no annulment. As a matter of fact, that's a very important... They're all Safik. They're all Safik Tumah, which is a major difference than Vadai Tumah. But it means, ultimately speaking, in contrasting these cases, the importance for another time, another sugya, as to Nevelan Shehuta. Ultimately speaking, what we didn't take into account, this is the critical line, is ownership. You told me that when I had Shehuta Nevela or Nevela Shehuta, there is Bitul or there's not Bitul, depending on the details as we just discussed it, whether if it's the majority Nevela in that situation, there is not Bitul. If the majority is Shehuta in that situation, there is Bitul. But wait a second, didn't you tell me it depends on the ownership? What if this was mine and that was yours then? There's no bitul. But you told me that you didn't take into account ownership. Based on everything you just told me in likening it to the case of the pebbles, in setting forth for me the principle that if there's ownership stakes in something and it got mixed in with another, there's never going to be bitul. I see that that's blatantly contradicted from this halakha that we just cited which means we're back to defending or going against, in this respect, the opinion of the Chachmei Eris Yisrael. All right, we have to finish this sugya tomorrow. But again, in the scheme of things, we began the conversation with a question, why wasn't there bitul in the loaf of bread? I think over here. Um, and uh, we, we've been going back and forth in either defending that there should be bitul or that alternatively it's appropriate for there not to be bitul. We'll finish this tomorrow. Baruch Amen ve'amen.